These tools are for you to use. Hey, welcome to This Is Your Afterlife. I am Dave Marr, and this is my podcast where I talk to artists and activists about the afterlife. And yeah, I've thought about trying to explain the show more metaphorically or give a more mission-driven intro, but that is the show. I'm asking people about the afterlife and afterlife-related things. So welcome. My guest this episode is Max Thomas, who's a comedian here in Chicago. I say here because I am also in Chicago. He is a member of the improv group Preach. He is a stand-up, and he is also a very prominent member of BYP 100, uh, Black Youth Project 100, is I'm pretty sure what the BYP stands for. But it's one of those things where they're, they go by the shortened acronym so much now that it seems to almost be the name of the group. Anyway, Max explains what BYP 100 is in the episode. But right now, I will say they are a group of 18 to 35-year-olds organizing for Black Liberation. So if you want to check them out, you can follow them on at least Instagram at BYP 100. I'm sure their Twitter is very similar. And BYP 100 is one of the big reasons I wanted to interview Max. He has been very visible this summer, um, out in the streets, on social media, protesting, organizing, fighting the good fight. And for seven and now eight episodes, I've been saying that on this show, I interview artists and activists. But so far, it's mostly been artists. So I wanted to have Max on the show because he is a comedian and a very interesting and just a cool guy to hang out with, but also talk to someone who is spending their time. The thing about activism to me is that that's that's woken me up this past year, summer, in quarantine here. I spent a lot of time hopeless before the protests in response to George Floyd's murder. I figured you know, shit's rough out there. I know it's rough. I know what I can do. I'll stay in my lane. I'll try to improve my life and the lives of people immediately around me. But mostly, we are fucked by the powerful forces that be that are much larger than us. But then I saw these protests happening, and I realized people who have way more reason to be hopeless than I do are out there fighting. And so that just, that shook me awake. And in learning and reading and attending Zoom for me meetings, I have come to see activism as a work of imagination. It is imagining the world differently from what it is. And so I cannot think of any type of person I would rather talk to about the afterlife, about moments of transformation, about how we can live our lives differently now. Another thing I want to note about this episode is this is the first episode where I deviate from the lightly established format that I've got going. If you've listened to previous episodes, there are certain questions you have come to expect. You know I'm going to ask about funeral planning. You know I'm going to ask what's your coma. 
I'm going to ask them to kill one thing. I am perhaps most importantly going to ask them what they want to happen when they die. But despite the fact that this show is called This Is Your Afterlife, this episode, I did not include that question with Max. I thought the episode was strong enough without Max's answer to that question. So if you come to this show like I initially imagined it, for hard definitive answers to what the afterlife is and how we can get there, then congratulations, you now see through the facade, and I am just talking to people about interesting moments in their life that we can all learn from and relate to. But I think this is actually going to be a cool opportunity to open the show up, to have it be more flexible while still being short, retaining that structure, but it not having to be the exact same structure every time. One of the reasons I say that is if you can think of questions you would like to ask people about the afterlife or about the meaning of life in general, please, I am open to suggestions. So email me at thisisdavemar at gmail.com. I'm totally available for that. Also, if you like the show, please rate it, take 30 extra seconds to review it before any of those things, subscribe to it in whatever app you're using. I'm an independent operation. So those are very small gestures that mean a lot to me. We're trying to game this algorithm. So let's do it. And I just want to add a couple notes about this episode. First of all, if you don't know who Dick Gregory is, we talk about him a couple times in this episode. Dick Gregory is a, a masterful comedian, was a masterful comedian, RIP. And he is particularly famous, at least in my mind, for taking a long break because he was an activist as well as a comedian. And he took a long break from stand up to run for office. And that is something that really sticks out to me. So when I start talking to Max about that and why I'm thinking about Dick Gregory, that's the sort of uh, background you have there. The last note is a more serious note, and that is that this conversation took place a day or two after the shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. We don't go super heavy into that, but we do briefly mention it and also know that this was obviously some very fucked things have happened in Kenosha and in response to Jacob Blake's shooting that we just do not mention at all in the episode. And that is because this was a different time. It's truly wild to be recording podcast episodes where every single recording and release might be pre and post apocalypse. But here is where we are. So now, with all that said, I'm happy for you to hear my conversation with Max Thomas. I grab your whip and take it back to Chi-Town. When I'm in Chi-Town, So here's how I want to start is with like three scenario-based introductions, okay? Okay. To get a sense of how you would introduce yourself, what you do, who you are in three different circumstances. First one is to a stranger in a rideshare. Second one, at a party to someone who you're invested in keeping the conversation going. So it's like, they seem like they could be a friend, right? Okay. And then the last one is, turns out Christianity was right. 
St. Peter is at the pearly gates. You're standing there. And he's like, Max Thomas, that's a pretty common name, man. You're going to have to be a little bit more specific. Um, so for the ride chair, I would say uh, I'm a comedian. Uh, uh, for the person that I'm at a, uh, at a party with, and I think they'll be a friend, I'll tell them, like, I can do impersonations of random of people. Wait, you, you like, lead with that? Oh, yeah, I, I can do impersonations of people. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would probably start doing like an impersonation of somebody that's in the room or some shit like that <laughs> or something, you know, something just like really goofy. I'm very much like, or I guess like the thing that I would lead, I don't, you know, pre-COVID, I probably, I just share a joint with somebody. Uh, I think for, for St. Peter, I'd be like, damn, bro, I didn't even know you were real. <laughs> He's like, well, I am. And, uh, you know, just remind me who, which, which Max Thomas are you? Uh, I would say I'm the person that made. F- uh, I'm the I'm I'm the one that you heard about that was making fun of y'all <laughs> so much. That was roasting you all through elementary school and everything. And when kids said that I'd go to hell for not believing in you, you know, like I'm that kid. That's not going to be enough, man. There's too many people, too many even Max Thomases who've made fun of uh, us. We're one see. of the top I'm- targets of of people being made fun of. You you got to realize that, right? That's true. That's true. Uh, I think that then I would just, I would probably tell them like, I'm like the, I would say like, I'm the, 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 the guy that does the best impersonation of Maya Angelou. <laughs> That's what I would probably tell them. I'd be like, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Go meet Maya. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so it's interesting. I had not considered using impersonations as such a strong, like introduction to people. Yeah. Which is interesting, too, because it's like you're introducing them to who you are, but you're adopting another person. You're, like, deflecting right away. Yeah. That's something I loved about, like, Robin Williams. It's like he was a person who was always able to do, you know, um, the fact that he could do stand-up, he can can act, but he can also just sit right in front of you and start going into Martian noises and go to a whole other world that then made you feel like, oh, wow, this guy just literally transported me to another place. Yeah. Was he one of your favorites as a kid? Oh, absolutely. Who uh, is him and who else? Him, Moms Mabley, Richard Pryor, Red Fox, Whoopi Goldberg, uh, Dick Gregory. I've been thinking a lot about Dick Gregory. I have this Mm -hmm. one Dick Gregory album and it's like, because I I went, I'm not, you know, I am type one diabetic, so I'm not able to be out in the streets. Yes. But I live near Andersonville and I, went to one protest there where I was able to stay distant. And one of the speakers was talking about like, are you trying to be a success in life? Or are you trying to be a good person? And I was just like, mm. Ugh. like, cause I think so much about like personal achievement, you know? Yes. And that, that Dick Gregory thing of like having such a strong set of values where it's like, yeah, I'm a comedian. Yeah. I'm called to do this. Yeah. I love this. But like, are more important things in life and I'm willing to act on that. You know, I feel like you've been especially visible in activist spaces this summer. Mm -hmm. Is that, would you agree with that? Yes. How do you think about Dick Gregory or is there a line between the comedy and the activism for you? With me, all of it influences uh, each other. I've been an organizer and activist for 
about five years now and three years I've been with the organization I'm with Black Youth Project 100, which is, excuse me, which is a group of 18 to 35 year old uh, black folks uh, all across the country, have chapters all across the country that um, specifically are focused on liberating black people through a queer feminist lens. So like I've always been in these circles and stuff. I think that during this time, there's just more, there's even more time to just be out in the street as much as, as much as you want. Where does the, like, your ethos of art comedy blend Mm -hmm. into your ethos for doing, like, organizing or activist work? No, it's all, it's all tied in right there. It's all there. That's the thing that I think is just so cool. It really is. It's all, it all really influences each other. I mean, even, like, I've created comedy shows from for from my organization i've created ways that we can all do improv together and stuff like that and also while also using improv to create ways for uh the community to understand what's the important why is it so important for us to defund the police so i think that it all works to me i just i don't really think that there's necessarily a line i think that there's always some comedy that can come out of it i mean even times when we're protesting um, there's times where there's just straight up just hilarity. One, one huge thing was when it was on Lori Lightfoot's birthday, we protested and all the cops that were stopping us from coming down her block. Uh, uh, one organizer, she got on the megaphone and just read off, which is just public knowledge, read off every body, looked at every, all the cops badge numbers and ba- badge name and just read off all of the complaints against them and all the lawsuits that have been filed against them. Wow. And then the whole crowd would go like, shame, 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 and, uh, and say, that's not right, and chant, you know, like, all of that stuff. It just, like, that kind of stuff, there's comedy in that, because there was times we were just laughing at the fact, at the way these cops would react in front of other cops, of hearing, oh, wow, I have 36 complaints against me just within a year. Okay, so next question, then, in terms of funeral planning have you thought of any things that you any demands any requests whether it's a a mourning thing whether it's a celebratory thing it can be an aspect of an actual funeral or it could just be i think a rope you want to roast like an open casket and people roasting me Open casket roast. Dude, so many people don't want an open casket. So the fact that you're saying like a roast at an open casket. Yeah. Okay. Why not? I mean, I'm, 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 we know we all came there for one reason. We all know I'm dead. You can open (laughs) the motherfucker up. Like it's okay. Like, you know what I mean? There's, you know, some people it's kind of, you know, it's gruesome or it's uncomfortable or it's whatever. Well, shit, that's what life is right i mean you think about just like um what's the brother's name what's is his name jacob blake who was just who's just shot in wisconsin yeah that sounds right yeah yes so he it just we just got i just got word that uh he's now paralyzed from the waist down i'm living in a gruesome life right now we are all we are all experiencing trauma on a daily basis you know what i mean me being dead in my mind think is rest I think differently, though, in terms of if you uh, like if I die of natural causes, in my mind, I feel like that is rest. If I die and I'm old and and I've lived a long life, I feel like I am now there's some rest there. 
if a person is like Laquan McDonald shot and killed at 19 years old, there's disruption there. And I can understand why somebody wouldn't want to have an open casket funeral. I've been at, I've, I have been at an open casket funeral for a friend that was shot and killed. That's my age. And that I was like, what was that two or three years ago? And that energy is crazy because you have people in there that are of the age where they're like, Oh, I could die of natural causes tomorrow. And they're on, they're at the podium saying, I don't understand why I'm still standing here. Mm-hmm. And, and my grandson isn't, you know what I mean? Um, so in my mind, I think of, I think of like when I die, I'm hoping I, if I'm seeing into the future, I'm hoping that it's not disrupted by somebody murdering me or something like that. But I look at if it's natural causes and stuff, that's rest. Yes. If you want to, you know, I would love for people to come and say goodbye to me and roast or have or stand ups and, Probably, you know, a, uh, a nephew or uh, or not a nephew because I don't have any uh, brothers and sisters, but like probably like a, uh, uh, a cousin or like my or children down the line or something that are hilarious. Like I would love for them to come in and tell some funny stuff because even like John Witherspoon, he recently died. I think he died earlier this year and his son is a comedian. And uh, I think his son was able to tell jokes and talk about his father and funny, loving way and stuff. And um, I think that that's really awesome. I think that's the way that a majority of comedians would want to go out. Um, Yeah, I don't think that any, I don't think Richard Pryor would have ever wanted his family to go up there and talk about, you know, how depressed he was in his life. Sure. You know, I mean, he did enough of that. He did. (laughs) He really did. Really so, did. are there other elements that you can think of? The ro- we've got the roast. Oh, barbecue! I think barbecue. I would love for people to barbecue and really it'd be communal and people eat and have fun. I would hope that it would be almost like a family reunion, like people who haven't seen each other in years could come together and mend wounds and stuff. Uh, are there sides yeah, you definitely want at the barbecue, or are there sides you would ban? Uh oh, man! No raisins in the mac and cheese. Okay. And- well, I don't know anybody that does that. Crazy. Raisins in the mac and cheese? I know. I've seen what? it. I mean, that's just some, that's some caucus mountain shit. But, you know, like, uh, uh, I would You don't mean like macaroni salad. You mean like in the yes. mac and cheese. In the, like, baked mac and cheese and shit like that. Like, uh-huh. I would, I would much rather, I would love it if people had, like, the four-layer mac and cheese, which I love to make, but I'm allergic to dairy. Um, and I used to make it as a kid and I'm, I loved it so very much that, uh, crab legs, uh, uh, chicken from Harold's, uh, what else? Really good collard greens, like homemade collard greens and stuff. Just a lot of like really, really good soul food, like soul food where it can put people to sleep. So that then, you know, like after they eat, they can take a nap and stuff from all of the the shit that's going on today. They can have their own rest. You know, (laughs) I would love that. So the next segment is it's called relive one memory because Mm -hmm. this show is based on a one man show of mine where I offer the premise that in the afterlife, we get the ability to completely relive one memory. So you're not stuck in that memory, but you fully drop down into it and you can choose to bring it back up and jump inside it anytime you want. If that were true, what memory would you pick? Oh, I think that that's, uh, 
easy. I think that is really, really easy. I think the one memory I would pick is when I was three years old, right before I turned four, I had my first recital and it was a tap dance recital and I was wearing this like turquoise sequence outfit and stuff. And it was just awesome. And I was so excited. I prepped for it and stuff. And I remember on the way to the, to the show, I'd asked my mom, what is a recital? Because I, I just knew we were doing some kind of show, but I didn't know really what a recital was. And my mom laughed because she just thought that was so funny. My mom and dad laughed. They thought that was just hilarious because they were like, oh, man, this kid's been preparing for months for this, but doesn't know what the hell a recital is. <laughs> um, but I would love to just really go back and relive that moment of being on stage because I will never forget that after I did the number. Uh, was it a solo with, number? It was no, it was with like the whole group does a okay. so does the does the number together. And then there's a part where we had, you know, we had practiced where we all go off stage, we all wave and we leave. I stayed on stage and like was ready to do more. And that was just a moment where I would just would love to go back and relive that and feel that energy of how excited I was to stand in front of you. I mean, it was like a class of probably like over 10 kids. And there's plenty of kids and when they got on stage, they didn't tap dance because they were just nervous. You know, so I would have loved to go back and relive that moment of like, yeah, I'm here, I'm on the stage, and I'm excited. Because that was a time in my life where I really felt, wow, I'm excited that people are clapping. I'm excited that this is, um, and I actually, you know, there, there's another moment like that, that when I was in first grade, we had to do this, uh, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. We had to like do a class thing for to the James Brown song. And since I was the kid that was always dancing, I was, I was, uh, I knew how to do splits real well. So I could do James Brown dances and then go into splits and pop back up. And I remember after I did it, I slide back into the line and the whole audience just erupted. And I'm talking about like afterwards, parents were coming up to me and couldn't care less about the hell their kids were doing. We were just so happy. <laughs> they were just so happy at like what I was doing. They were like, oh my God. Like there was parents that felt like they wanted to adopt me because of that. So I just, I, I felt like that those moments, those two moments right there, I would love to relive that because that's the energy I want to hold on to for the rest of my life in terms of performing. Because I think now we get into this place where, you know, I performed on so many shows where, you know, you're dealing with co other comedians' bitterness. You're dealing with other comedians being assholes, yeah. you know? So that, that just freewheeling joy of, hey, I'm here and this is fun and, I'm excited. You're excited. Let's just have some fun. Like that whole thing that we learned from, um, learn from, uh, uh, what's her name in term for, for like the queen of improv. Oh, Viola Spolin. Boom. It was like literally textbook play. Yeah. Play. Yeah. Like that, that is what I want to feel again. But I remember, yeah, there's even a picture of me, multiple pictures of me, Nobody else on stage, and I'm standing there, and there's like a person opened up the curtain, like, come on, come on. <laughs> you know. Um, so, uh, yes, do you um, remember what was going through your head? Do you remember having conscious thoughts about staying on stage? Yeah, I remember me just, I think the feeling, the eruption of applause made me feel good and made me feel like, yeah, I want to feel this, I want to take this in. That was just a moment where I was like, man, I can really feel the, the wind pushing here. So I want to. Yeah. You're like, 
yeah, it's it's almost like not even a selfish thing as much as just like a stop and smell the roses. You're like, hold on, guys. This is I'm trying to be present in this moment. Yes. I'm trying to feel this wave of literal wind and energy coming yes. at me. You guys can come back out here if you want. This isn't just for exactly. me. Yeah. There was no I had no understanding of what the recital really like you're talking about, what it really meant, but other than whoa, this just brought joy to people. This is exciting. Let's do more of this. You know what I mean? And so in that recital, and I guess in the even though you're cheating a little bit by adding another memory, but I'll give it to oh, you. Yes. The uh so in the other James Brown performance, was there a special pride? Because there's the the pride that comes from your parents love it. Their fans, they say all the nice things to you. Mm-hmm. But in my experience, it feels a little good to have like one-upped someone else's kid and have parents totally. who don't even know you be like you've converted fans or something like that. Was that an element of it? Absolutely. Absolutely. It felt phenomenal because it felt like people were because people were coming because this was like a thing that my teacher knew me as a dancer and said all so like you know all of us just like we would in, in at first grade we're all standing there like i'm black and i'm proud in a lump you know da-na, da-na, they had laugh and then i just slide out and have this solo moment so for people in the audience to talk to me afterwards it was exciting because i remember multiple people telling my parents and telling me hey kid you should do something with you are excited. You are somebody we would love to see more of, you know. Right. Well, and it's it just makes me realize what a gift it is because it's like as an adult now thinking about when have I interacted with a kid or or even a, a peer or a slightly younger adult and just noticed their excellence and what a gift it is to be able to say to someone like, Hey, I just want to reflect back to you right now. You're the shit at this thing and don't just dismiss it as one of the things you do. Like take it in as a thing you could really devote yourself to. Exactly. It 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 opens up fields of vision that you d- wouldn't have considered. Completely. And I mean just like a few months later from that uh from that James Brown performance, my house burned down. So then I was displaced and then you know, me and my folks are like living out of a motel. So it's like, it's like to have that inspiration right before that tragic thing happened. I mean, while I was displaced, I was able to write jokes and all of that wow. stuff. You were writing jokes in first grade? Yeah, I was writing jokes about like what was, what I just was kind of, you know, feeling and stuff. What's up? It's Dave. If you like This Is Your Afterlife, you should go to thisisdavemar.com and sign up for my free newsletter, Hella Immaculate. Every week in the newsletter, I share, one, a micro-essay about an aspect of creativity or culture, like the creative lessons of Drag Race Thailand, or the visionary anti-racism of Hoobastank. Two, a hyper-specific playlist, for example, 90s Beach Xanax, or Polo de Don set for 2008 Pitchfork Music Festival after party where I saw Julia Stiles. And finally, a few actions we can take to pour water on our world on fire. Hella Immaculate is a way for me to connect with audiences beyond live venues and across the globe. And it's the best way to learn about classes I'm teaching, podcast updates, eventual live shows, and whenever I'm typecast as a homeless addict again on a TV show set in Chicago. Again. 
Go to thisisdavemar.com to subscribe to my newsletter, Hella Immaculate. As you may know, I'm a DIY operation, so please tell your friends. A hard vouch means everything. Back to the show. Last big question. Mm -hmm. I'm phrasing as, what's your coma? Because for me, five years ago, I was in a coma for a month, and that serves as a pretty clear before and after point. It doesn't have to be that tragic or dramatic. It could be mundane. But is there a moment of transformation like that for you where before this moment, you were one person? And even in a small way, after this moment, you became a different person, either by active choice or just naturally? I would say it probably came out of... So uh, after my house burned down, displaced, living in different spots, then we uh, moved back into my house because uh, we moved back into my house early because we had uh, there was a, a contracting company or whatever that was uh, working on our house. I don't know if, if you've ever heard this. There's sometimes like in, in, in Black communities, there's even times where, and I'm not trying to knock, knock people, but there's even uh, times of where because as Black people, if you are like a fire department, right? My house was on fire. Fire department did a great job putting out the fire. But there is a difference compared to, and it's not on them. I'll get to, get to the reason. But there's a difference in terms of the way that firefighters put out the fire at Second City and try to preserve the, the, the relics that are in there and try to preserve you know, the, the, this theater, this, this theater that created Bill Murray, created Tina Fey, all of that shit. And there's a difference in terms of even in the black community, we talk about this in the way that there's been times where firefighters will come into your house is burning or something and they'll just rip your shit up and they'll put out the fire, they'll put out the fire and stuff, but they're the, the care for how your house is or how you can salvage that house in an all black area is different. And I'm not saying the firefighters did this, but I'm saying who did do this were contractors. The contracts that we had contract to come in, uh, uh, an all uh, Polish company of, of contractors. And throughout the time they were there, my dad was storing, uh, my dad's also a contractor and he was storing a lot of tools, electrical stuff, electric tools and appliance stuff downstairs in the basement. Times my dad would come and check in on the house they would be lightly renovating, but would be putting up a lot of temporary and bullshit stuff, a lot of, uh, uh, and at the same time, stealing from my dad and stealing from us. And um, he confronted them about it and everything. And even the way that they reacted to my dad or to my parents, uh, talking about the house and what they wanted salvaged from the house and everything, the segregated city, race played a part in that. You know what I mean? In terms of, uh, did they actually care in terms of rebuilding or renovating this house from a horrible fire? So anyway, my dad fired him. We get into a half renovated house. Uh, my dad is uh, a lot of times was very just upset and was worried and, and was working on the house while also working 12, 13 hour shifts at UPS every night. Um, my mom worked every single day. She's a, a, a she was a healthy human, a civil rights investigator for the Health and Human Services of Chicago, mm. um, and even got her law degree during the time that this fire was going on, and Jesus. lost her mother during that time. So, what the, holy uh, fuck! Okay, I know, 
I know it was a lot. It was a lot. And also we brought and also my my aunt who who had recently lost her job, who who has suffered from bipolar since 1968. Um, she had to move into our house with us because she was uh, very unstable at this point. Um, so all of these things were going on in my life. And I started developing anxious tics. At the same time, I was getting bullied a lot at school. So I was developing anxious tics. So I'd start doing things like I started, like if I got sick and I had a bad cough from having a cold, that cough went on for like six months. Uh, then there was even a time where I was playing with kids in the neighborhood and we were playing with BB guns and one kid shot me in the arm. And then uh, that created me creating this tick where I would hold my arm and moan for six to eight months in that I got, I started going to psychiatrist and then I, from there, uh, got admitted into a mental institution uh, as a child, like nine, 10 years old. When you say institution, you mean like a ward on a hospital or it was a residential facility or is that, what was it? Oh, like a, uh, yeah, a ward in a hospital. So a whole floor that's dedicated to uh, very young kids on one side where I was. And then on the other end, uh, like almost like a nurse's station would separate uh, the other side, which was kids from like 13 to 18 years old. Yeah. I just experienced a, a lot of different things. And when I was in that mental institution, I was in there with kids that were like autistic. I was in there with, uh, with kids that were um, all kind, all kind of stuff like kids that were, you know, in the setting their house on fire, kids that were, uh, fighting a lot or biting their parents or a lot of different things. So I got to be around kids that were going through in my mind at 19 years old, where I'm dealing with like all this anxiety. I'm like, man, these kids are the real deal. You know what I mean? (laughs) You're like, my house got burned down. This kid's burning down houses, burning down houses. Like it was, it was, it was almost like if I had been on death row and I was just there for stealing (laughs) grapes, you know what I mean? I felt like that. I was like, Whoa, you know, um, But I will never forget that during the time, like I was holding my arm and I was moaning, there was a girl that was in there that was, uh, from what I can think of looking back on it, she might've had a very, very bad version of autism. And she, um, she had somebody that was constantly like walking her through the hospital and everything like that. And um, I'll never forget her room was across from her. And she had a nurse that was walking her to her room. And I remember she looked, uh, looked at me, stared at me, and she could only mumble words. And I remember her, she literally mocked me. She literally, like, went, put her arm like this, and, went, uh, and then walked into her room. What? And I will fuck? never forget that being a moment in my life where I, it really... It not only made me say, okay, I got to get out of this this space that I'm in, this mental hospital, but it also was a thing where it reminded me of how I can take, how I have the power to take control over my situation. That that was dealing with anxiety. And that was something where I felt like, okay, how can, it reminded me of how can I take control or how can I take a breath, meditate, use the deep breathing I was learning, use tools I was learning um, through going to my therapist and really, um, yeah, really uh, take that time to figure out where is this coming from? Where is this moaning? Where is this stuff coming from? And how can I, you know, a lot of the word, the key word that was a lot of times used by my psychiatrist was how to learn how to cope. 
coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. And so after that, that was a thing where I was like, okay, it really just, it's something that comes back to me all the time in my life. And it's something that just reminded me of seeing somebody else going through a situation that they could not control. You know what I mean? Like with that, that young woman, she, not necessarily a situation, but she had, she was born that way and she couldn't, that was something where she couldn't control. And it was mm. almost like something where she was looking inside of me and saying, you can control. <laughs> Snap out of it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. I think that, uh, yeah, it was just a, it was a real wake up call for me. And I think about that. I think about that, 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 that woman to this day. Um, cause yeah, it just, it just really was. Cause I, cause at the end of the day, it was something that I could control. It was something I had built up those ticks and I remember myself even feeling like these ticks were the things that brought attention to my depression. It brought attention to, Hey, something isn't right. I'm not feeling good. I'm not feeling good in the school environment. I'm not feeling good in this, in my home environment. And it, I think that it woke, it shook my parents up to understanding, Oh, our son is not just living in some like kid. Oh, there's a puddle. Let me just. It's related to something. It's related to something. I'm conscious of what's going on around me. Well, it's interesting because it makes me think about you introducing yourself to people through impressions, through the appreciation of other people and the way in which it feels like a bit of a deflection to go, this is who I am is my silly voices of all these other people. But what you just said helps me understand that this is a coping mechanism. These mm -hmm. impressions, turning things into comedy, the way in which it is an intimate introduction to people to go, hey, let me introduce you to the way I see the world. Yeah, I'm not telling you facts about myself. I'm not giving you my deepest feelings about whatever deep subjects, but I'm showing you, this is how I see the world. This is how I turn pain to pleasure. So that's a really important, intimate thing to me. And it's meaningful that I'm inviting you into that. Exactly. Exactly. Last thing mm -hmm. is a one question lightning round and it is just kill one thing, one little thing in everyday life or in culture that you would like to stop existing. Oh, that's, that's a really easy one. I think I would love, uh, you know, I could even, th I think about people when I think about killing, but at the same time, I, <laughs> I do. I mean, it could be a person. I'm okay you with know? that. But at the same time, I think about all of these kind of people that do this. I think of, uh, I think of, I think I, I really, and this I think ties into bullying and all this stuff. I would love to kill any punching down of the oppressed. Oh, a per perfect example of that is, is kind of like how in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, I grew up loving that film, but the whole f first film is all about, we're trying to out this this trans person. Yeah. Like the whole fucking film, you know? So yes, I would love to kill the punching down of oppressed people. I think that it's way easier for people to punch down on oppressed people 
because for for them it feels like oh these people are already the um outcasts of society even even within uh black community due to slavery due to uh inter- due to systemic racism just like what we see within black community or any community of black or brown people there's a caste system so you have plenty of people where uh i don't know anybody that has ever made a meme or ever said um Zoe Kravitz, you know, um, there's never any memes about the way she looks or anything like that. Right, right. Comparatively, there can be memes for days on how Leslie Jones looks. Right. You see what I'm saying? So like colorism stuff. It's colorism. The colorism. Like, just like even like how Leslie Jones, she even was in articles talking about when Ghostbusters came out. Yeah. She Jesus said, Christ. I was, she was like, she was like, dude, I just wanted you all to enjoy the fucking movie. But yeah. instead, you held on to how I look, how ugly I am, how this, how that. And it's, it, yeah, it's, it's horrible. I even, there's even been male comedians that have called her an asshole or whatever, because she has been honest about the fact that like herself and Tiffany Haddish, people like that are being honest when they say none of these men have helped her. She even said, you know, even though that Chris Rock gave me a recommendation, she's like, I'm in my fifties. How long was I doing stand up? Right, right, right. You know, well, okay. So, how does punching down figure into this story with the girl on the ward? Who was she punching down or punching up with you grabbing your arm and moaning? Who was who I was the I more oppressed person? The I think she was punch. I think she was punching up. Okay. I think she was punching up because I have way more privilege than she does. I mean, this is a girl that I saw every day that had to be fed. She had to be clean. She had to be all these different things. She had to be walked to her room. She was, she, uh, in that moment, I thought that I would never forget me. Think stay. I can still see. I, I will never forget me thinking, wow. In that moment as a kid, I was like, this, this girl is extremely smart. This girl is extremely aware I can't have a full conversation with her, but she's extremely aware. Yeah. You know? And she was doing an impression of you. And she was doing an impression of me. Yeah. That is the show. Thank you for listening to This Is Your Afterlife. I'm Dave Marr. You can find me online everywhere at This Is Dave Marr. You can find my guest, Max Thomas at searching for max on instagram and his twitter handle is the very colorful voodoo child 9593 got a real aol screen name vibe going on there please rate and review and subscribe to this show in whatever app you use to listen to it go to thisisdavemar.com and sign up for my newsletter and i will talk to you next week have faith you are human Human and human beings, they do miracles.